Would you please turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to the Gospel of Exodus this morning as we continue in our series called Exodus, the Mission of God, Man's Exit and God's Entrance. This morning we're getting into the first of five of the places in which we see Christ. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 48, Jesus was walking, the resurrected Jesus was walking along a road outside of Jerusalem along with two very discouraged disciples. Jesus was wondering why, since he had risen from the grave, just as he had said, and they had heard testimony that he was risen from the grave and had yet not seen him, why they were so down in the dust. And as he walked with them, he began to reveal to them, Luke records, all things concerning himself from Moses and the prophets. And when we read the Old Testament, we never come across the name Jesus, really don't even see the word Christ in our Old Testament. So what was Jesus speaking of? Well, that led us into that Resurrection Sunday message, led us into this series, as we dare to go into the Old Testament, like Jesus, and behold, Jesus there. And so in five pictures in the book of Exodus, we find that God was revealing his very own Messiah to us and to all of Israel in especially five distinct pictures. And this morning is the first of those pictures, the Lamb. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll look at Christ who is the bread, the bread in the wilderness. Then thirdly, the following Sunday we'll be looking at Jesus who is the living water that comes from the rock. And then fourthly, the one who loves to tabernacle with us, the one who wants to dwell with us, Jesus the greater tabernacle. And then the last Sunday will be a Jesus, the great mediator, that one who has come in between us and our holy God and pleaded our case, just like Moses did often um, before God on the behalf of Israel. So in Exodus chapter 12, I ask that you follow along as we read in this passage. It's fairly lengthy, but keep your ears and hearts open to the word of God this morning. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt this month, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inward parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in hand. And you shall eat it in haste. 
It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. There you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at the evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out, out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Ah, Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. Bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders, and the people of Israel 
had also done as Moses told them, where they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot beside women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night as a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised them. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Thus says the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, would you speak to us as you did Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel? Would you just give us clear instructions for we need to know how to live. We need the help on how to live. We need to look to the one who made life for us. Well, Father, just remove every distraction from our hearts and minds this morning that our faith might be purified, that our minds might be cleansed, that we would be equipped unto Christ-likeness this morning, that we would behold him and in passion and in love move towards him, that one who has shed his blood for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, the Lamb of God is provided for both the sinners who are made righteous by it and for believers. You see, the redemption plan of God through the blood of the Lamb is the beginning of a lifelong feast on the Lamb. Let me say that again. The redemption plan of God through the blood of the Lamb is the beginning of a lifelong feast on the Lamb. We could point very clearly into the salvation of Israel, the deliverance of Israel, on the night of the terrible tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. But we should also learn what the believing Jews were doing inside the house as God was enacting his judgment upon all of Egypt. There was, inside of the house, there was a delighting in the land. Let me say that again. As all of Egypt was plagued by the death of the firstborn, inside of the house of those who had applied the blood to the doorpost, inside of the house of the believing Jews was a delighting in the land. Death upon Egypt 
delight among his people. God's redemption for his people by the blood on the doorpost provided an enjoyment by the very same reasons, or the very same means. The lamb whose blood was their ransom of life, Christ, also became their expectation of a greater deliverance. You see, our salvation in Jesus Christ is meant to be a continual feast on Jesus Christ. The redemption of a sinner through their faith in the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ is just the beginning of a journey of deliverance. God's people are never meant to slide away from the table to cease enjoying the benefits of the Lamb. We are talking about more than just church ordinance and communion here when we're speaking about feasting on the Lamb. We're talking about savoring. We're talking about relishing. We're talking about rehearsing satisfaction in the Lamb whom God provided for our redemption. The Lamb for the believer is the all-satisfying feast that God has provided as a means of grace. We are never full of the Lamb. We are full but never full of this Lamb. We are never done with the Lamb. Jesus is the source and substance of our feasting and our nourishment. Yes, our sins have been forgiven. Yes, judgment has passed over. But now there is a delight in the Lamb that is to be experienced within. Judgment has passed over. Forgiveness of sin has been applied to our account. But God means for us to enjoy and to delight in the Lamb beyond even this spectacular demonstration of His redemption in the cleansing of our sins. He has more delight for us than even just forgiveness. You see, delighting and taking in the Lamb of God means that we personally take in His person, that is, Jesus' person and His work, on our behalf into our very souls to savor the Savior. There's a tendency amidst the Church of Christ, Christians like you and I, to view the profession of a sinner unto faith in Christ as a momentary event where we seize hold of the value of Christ and then one would live their life never really engaging with the true Christ. They know their sins are forgiven, but that's about all they know about Christianity. They make some sort of profession, some sort of confession with their mouth that Jesus Christ is their Savior. They have asked the Lord to forgive them of their sins, but their life looks nothing like feasting on the land. They, so to speak, have applied, or said they've applied the blood to the doorpost, but there's no feasting on the inside of the dwelling place. There's no feasting in their soul. There's no hunger for God and Christ's likeness in their lives. It's doubtful, by the way, that those who make a profession, that those who say they've applied the blood to the doorpost, it's doubtful for them if they do not grow more Christ-dependent if they have ever really applied the blood in the first place. If they're not feasting on the Lamb, if they're not drawing close to Jesus Christ. Because applying the blood of Christ to the doorpost of one's heart also means taking in Christ into every part of one's life. Notice that in the instruction here in this, the commands given to Moses, that they weren't merely to apply the blood to the doorpost, but they were to enjoy the Lamb. I don't know who might be in the hearing of this message this morning, whether digitally or in person, but it is possible that someone can make a, a 
profession and have feelings for God, but their lives are never truly transformed. And one of the signs that, that a, a person's life is never truly transformed is that they, they are not dwelling and abiding and, and finding in Christ and all satisfaction for them. That they have not set themselves apart unto Jesus Christ. They're glad to receive what they believe to be the forgiveness of sins, the, the application of the blood as a means of confession and outward confession of that Jesus' blood was enough for the judgment of God upon them. But inwardly, they remain unchanged. Inwardly, they're stark. Inwardly, they're pushing away from the table and have no part of Christ's transforming presence and power in their lives. They are not giving of themselves into the feast. Well, this morning, this message is to break down what this feast included, and there's six different steps of obedience, or six different parts of obedience that were to take place in the home of the, the Jews on this faithful evening that also are to take place in the home of your heart, the home and heart of the Christian. And that begins, number one, with taking the lamb. Taking the lamb. God told the people of Israel that they were to take the lamb, a lamb or a goat, would be the same thing on the tenth day of the month. They were to take this lamb and to bring this lamb into uh, their homes. They were to then take this lamb and upon initial inspection, find it to be a, a one-year-old lamb, just, just at the edge of maturity, showing that any imperfection that had been birthed with now in strength is showing itself to be the, the, a promising lamb, a promising sheep. And now in four days, they will take this lamb into their homes and they will have the opportunity to, to inspect the lamb even further. To watch and make sure that its, it's hip is now joined. It's not walking awkwardly or its tongue's hanging out or has some sort of scrape they didn't see upon initial inspection. And for four days, they will inspect the lamb. It'll become part of their, their home. It'll be part of, the, part of their daily routine for four days. They will take the lamb. And God required that they would single out this lamb among many other sheep and distinguish this lamb as, as being the one that will be the Passover lamb. Not just any lamb will do it. Not just knowing and having their eye on the one that they will choose on that final day, on the 14th day, but they will, they will take this lamb and set it apart as something that is, will be precious. And for four days, what will be going through them as they understand the instruction is that on the 14th day, of the month. This lamb will now be walking amidst them. This lamb will be on the dead table. This lamb that, that crawled into the, 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 the bed with the, the little ones, this lamb will now lay its life out on their behalf. They will take the lamb. But they will not only take the lamb, and they will then also keep the lamb. You know, God had a, has a heart for redemption, and God had in mind redemption even before the world was even formed. God was looking ahead even at the sinfulness of men and already had put together in the council and the delight of his trinity this glorious redemption plan. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, in Revelation chapter 4. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, God had purpose in time past, before the even creation of the world, that he would set about and put into motion the, the glories of his nature and the essential parts of his nature of mercy and grace and move towards this fallen world. 
by the means of a slain lamb. There was an appointment amidst the council of the Trinity, and then there was a dispatch of the plan on that day in Nazareth, I'm sorry, in Bethlehem, when Jesus descended and came to dwell amidst us. This was a foreordained ministry of the second person of the Trinity. There was a tenth day, so to speak, in eternity past. But there was a fourteenth day, that faithful day on Golgotha, when the Lamb was to be slain. The timing of this is meant also to give an opportunity for, for us to behold Christ. The scriptures have been faithful to record for us, and the apostles' teaching have been faithful to record to us that we too would examine the Lamb, that we too were to look upon Jesus, and for a period of time between God's planning and God's accomplishment of the plan, to inspect the Lamb, to find, does Jesus measure up to the expectations that God had placed for mankind? Does Jesus measure up to be a substitute for you and I? And so we inspect Him. And there would be a time to move on beyond this examination to find would the Lamb be worthy. And on that 14th day of the month, they would find that the Lamb was worthy. They would signal it by killing this Lamb. And in killing this Lamb, they would, they would surmise that it, this Lamb dies or we die. Imagine looking into the eyes of a Lamb. And on this day, you look into the eyes of this Lamb. And every truth of the Word of God is ringing in your ears, and you look into the eyes of this Lamb, and you take this Lamb. And you've kept it. And now you have a knife. And you look into the eyes of this Lamb, and you believe in the Word of God to be true, and you know this Lamb dies, or you die. And you will be responsible for taking this lamb's life. This lamb will bear out the judgment of God instead of you. It would be a bloody and a very personal interaction. And signals to us and reminds us of the interaction that needs to take place in the heart of every human being on this earth. But there needs to be an encounter with God, an understanding, a, a belief, and, and a sober reckoning that there must be someone who dies in your place to bear about the punishment that you're rightly deserve. There's really no way to overestimate the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. The greatest thoughts and adoration in the human mind and heart, the worshiper's heart, will never be able to conjure up the infinite preciousness of the blood of the Son of God that was shed on behalf of fallen sinners like you and I. This is part of what drives us to worship every Sunday. While we're satisfied with what we bring to God through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, as we gather to worship him, we look forward to the next gathering of the saints so we can fill up more worship more adoration, when we, where we can add the same and more words to describe the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ to us. 
We know that there's not enough time, there's not enough passion, there's not enough words, there's not enough music to convey just how precious the, the blood of the Lamb is. Because the blood alone is our peace. You know, we will never have enough faith in the blood to be worthy of its atonement. But faith is what is required. You see, the Passover angel, when he passed through Egypt, he saw the blood on the doorpost and he passed over. There was no entering in, there was no knocking on the door of the faithful Jewish family feasting that night. There was no inspection of the family inside. The testimony of the blood applied was sufficient. This ought to minister peace to every one of us Christians who might worry, do I believe enough? Maybe even to the person who is, as a young age, remembers when they called upon Christ as their Savior, and now as an older person, more mature person, learning more, engaging more in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you wonder, did I know enough? Did I believe enough? Did I have enough faith to truly be saved at such a young age? Because now as I parent, and now as I'm among children, I, I recognize just the naivety and the simplicity of thought, and, 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 and even just maybe even the ignorance. And I wonder, did I have enough faith? Well, the death angel on the night in which she passed over the homes didn't, didn't go into a single home and didn't inspect how much faith they had. He didn't inspect to find out how sincere they were. But he saw the testimony of the blood, and the blood brought peace. Because it's, you can never believe enough to be saved. You can never have enough faith to be saved. Salvation is not based on faith. It is by grace. Through faith. So the blood that was applied to the doorpost and was the lamb that was feasted upon at the tables, this was grace. This was God's provision. This was God's means of grace. This was his plan for redemption. How would this house be rescued? How would this house be passed over? It wasn't by faith alone. It was by faith in the provision that God had given. And so there was a simplicity about faith. There was, there was an application of faith. But it was never a means of whether or not there was enough faith. You can never believe enough to be saved. The grace of God makes faith possible, but not only possible, but fully applicable to the sinner's need. And notice that there wasn't anything other than the blood applied. The believers were hiding behind the blood. No morsel of bread was set out on the doorstep. Uh, no candle was set out there, so to speak. No, nothing else. Nothing was set out on the doorstep to accompany the blood on the doorposts. If anyone brings anything more than the blood of Christ into their prayer before God, they make God a liar. 
they deny the sufficiency of the atoning work of the blood. The bitter herbs and the unleavened bread were necessary, but they were not a means of the grounds of peace. They were for the enjoyment on the inside of the house. They were not seen, as it were, the bread and the herbs were not seen, as it were, by the, by the death angel on that night. He only looked for the blood. The blood of the Lamb was sufficient for the Passover. It saved them from death and granted unto them a new beginning, including the beginning of a new time. God would tell Moses, hey, listen, I want to, you, I want to reorient your entire life. I want the beginning of the year to be Passover. The first, this is going to be now forevermore a new calendar for you. Redemption begins a new year. Doesn't that sound like a spectacular testimony of fresh grace, of new covenant, uh, refreshing of God to say, now your life really begins, and it begins with my purchase. It begins with my, my new work. I have bought a new time for you. I want you to begin your year with redemption, remembrance of redemption. It's a new holiday, a new year. Redemption would be the beginning of their salvation story. It would be the beginning of their exodus. And redemption is the beginning of exodus for Israel, and redemption is the beginning, beginning of exodus for you and I, for every Christian. Redemption is the beginning of your story. And as the families applied the blood to the lintel and to the doorposts, they were able to obey the commands to roast and to eat. Their obedience followed their faith. Their obedience was not the grounds of their salvation, but their enjoyment of it. The blood accomplished salvation, and the bread and herbs and the lamb feast were for the privilege to enjoy, enjoy this tonight. Think of it. In stark contrast, the Jewish families, these faithful Jewish families, were feasting on a lamb, joyfully celebrating the fact that they were about ready to leave. Sandals on their feet, which you didn't ever have when you were eating. Not in the house. A staff in hand and belt around their waist, ready for that call of, this is the day we get to leave Egypt. Oh, there was a celebratory tone in the house of every faithful Jewish family. But it, was, it couldn't be more different in the land of Egypt. Because on the night of the believers' feasting was the night of judgment upon other homes. And this is the picture of the believer too. It's unusual. It's otherworldly. It's distinctive. But as believers, we sing, we rejoice, we feast, we relish in life with God through Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, the world is dying around us. The believer's life, every bit of it, stands in dire contrast to the unbeliever's life. At that night, at midnight, from the palace to the dungeon, there was death. Moses records that every house, that is every family, firstborn son, We need to understand something here. God doesn't negotiate with unbelief. 
God doesn't negotiate with unbelief. The death of the firstborn was the most serious blow God could have dealt. It was a sign that his mercy had ended. Judgment had come. It was a sign of God's curse upon the unbelieving family. There could not have been a more serious judgment. God was saying to Pharaoh that Pharaoh wasn't a god, and neither was his son. There's only one God, and his son will die to bring many sons to life. God was saying that Pharaoh wasn't a god, and his son wasn't God either. That wasn't a house in all of Egypt that didn't suffer, and all who didn't believe were condemned to death. They were condemned to death. Blood on the doorpost indicated that judgment had already fallen on that house. And so now mercy was due. God needed out justice on that night. You say, well, Israel really got off easy. No, listen, there was judgment in the home of the Hebrews. But what received the judgment? The land. You see, all of Egypt was judged. But where would the guilt be applied? And there's coming a day when God will gather all of the world before him. And there's just two types of people. In all the world, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what standing, no matter what, what language, no matter what, what culture, no matter what time period, there's coming a day when God stands before all people and he deals in, in the very same way as he did in the land of Egypt. Is that he brings judgment upon those who will have no substitute, who will have no pardon. And he will look upon those who by faith have said that Jesus would bear out their judgment. But everybody gets judged. But of the believer, Jesus got judged for that. Of the unbeliever, they received the judgment. But there's also, also another thing, and that is that there was a roast for them. This was a prescribed way of cooking, not boiling, not raw, but roasting. They would present the lamb to the fire, as unto divine judgment to be purified. They were to find that this lamb would be the perfect material. They were even to enter to take the head and the legs and to submit it unto the fire. Not just the favorable parts, but all the parts. Every part of this lamb, the intestines included, everything was to be was to be purged in the fire. And to be found entirely perfect. The lamb in its entirety was to endure the flame. You see, we are not merely under the shelter or within the blood of the Lamb, but we are to feed by faith on the Lamb. Jesus has become our nourishment. We're not merely satisfied to be forgiven and delivered by Him, but we are to delight in Him. All of Christ. All of Christ. Spend your life learning Christ. All of Christ. 
Yes, beginning with his redemption, and never departing from the redemption story, as it should be told in your life, in the doubt, in the gospel, in every day of your life. But explore all the magnitude and the greatness of Jesus Christ. So as it is in the symbol here, the head and, and the legs, the intestines, so too every part of Christ, explore who he is. Find more than mercy. Find more than grace. Find everything. Come, learn Christ. Don't be satisfied with the start of the story of redemption, but explore all of that redemption affords you and provides for you. Learn Christ. Roast of the Lamb. And then eat of the Lamb. He presents himself to us as the one who endured the fire to consume, to partake. But notice that the Lamb was to be eaten along with bitter herbs. This is meant to be a picture of, of evil and even the calamity that had befallen them by the oppression of Egypt. And nowhere in Scripture is bitter herbs signal to us as a symbol of purity and holiness. It's, it's always meant to symbol to us as something of, of evil. This reminds us that we cannot enjoy the communion with Christ without remembering the sufferings of Christ. Yes, feast of the Lamb. Yes, enjoy the graces and mercies and all of the splendors of his gifts to you through his redemption. But communion with Christ always also involves a remembrance of his suffering that he suffered on our behalf. The roasted lamb says that he passed through the fire and the herbs tell us it was for us. The herbs tell us, these bitter herbs tell us it was for our sin. Isaiah 53, 5, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The chastisement of our peace, the bitterness, the verbs of us was upon him, and by his stripes we are the ones who are healed. This is in contrast, these bitter herbs are in contrast with the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread signaled that a cleansing or a cleanness and a sufferance. So you have the lamb and you have the bitter herbs and you have the bread and you're sitting at this table and you behold this feast and the herbs and bread show what was going on with the lamb. They're, they're a further picture. It was a pure lamb separated out for divine deliverance and a divine substitute. It was able to bear the weight of the judgment of sin, the cleansing of the leaven and the bitterness, the sin of the bitter herbs. Then God commands them to remember the Lamb ushers in a new season and a fresh start. In chapter, in chapter 12 here, God relays, he gives this information to Moses. Moses, by the way, takes his time in this chapter to really give us really distinct details about this work of God. One of the things that we ought to be, we ought to be reminded of here is that, first of all, Moses says, God spoke to me. And then Moses is careful then, and he really just repeats the, um, the instructions, uh, Moses repeats the instructions to the people. We find that, that he repeats these instructions, and there's this chain of instruction. Moses wants to show us, the reader, that, that he was faithful to transmit, faithful to declare the provision of God through the land. And that the people then were faithful to hear. 
So God delivers instructions to Moses, then Moses delivers instructions to the people. And then notice in verse number 28, what did the people do? The people, in verse 28, went and did. This is how it works. God speaks of his son. He gives messengers the word of God is the first messenger, and then everybody who carries the word of God. And then the people do. They go and they do. And how did they do so? How were they to obey? And how were they to how were they to feast? Well, verse eleven reminds us with sandals on their feet, staff in hand, belts around their waist, consuming the whole land. And by the way, accounting for everyone. If another home didn't have one or they had to share, accounting for everyone, everyone needed to be under the blood. But everyone needed to partake. Everybody needed to scoot up their chairs to the table, and everybody needed to eat of the lamb. They needed to do so personally. They could not depend upon another's obedience. They couldn't depend upon the sincerity of the father of the home. They couldn't depend upon their neighbor. They couldn't depend upon anybody else. They themselves needed to consume. They needed to become personal. They weren't going to get second-rate deliverance. Substitute deliverance. But notice in verse number 27 that when Moses imparted the instructions, their response began with bowing their heads and worshiping. Do you know this? That you can't say that you're an obedient Christian and you don't worship God. And do you know that if you take that and reverse it, you can't say the reverse either. You can't say that you're a worshipful Christian and yet you're living in disobedience. You can't say that you're seeking to honor your life and follow Jesus Christ and live contrary to the words and commands of God. You can't say that you're living a life worthy unto the pleasing and delight of God and say that you're a Christian and living in known rebellion. You can't have that assurance. Because worship and obedience belong together. And this happens, by the way, all throughout the book of Exodus. When there's true worship, when there's humble worship, especially uh, plunged under their, their tender hearts in response to God, a revival that happens several times, through Exodus, we always find that they are moved into obedience in Exodus. So it is the same with us in the New, as New Testament believers. We, our obedience flows out of our delight. Our obedience is the fruit of our worship. But there is also an obedience that even leads us unto worship. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, If it had not been for your statutes, I would have died. I would have gone my own way. He says, so The way in which you have brought me to behold you is by obedience. The way in which you have brought me to, to see the magnitude of your love for me is by submitting my life to you. And so worship and obedience really join together beautifully. 
in the Passover. But I also notice in verse number 38 that it wasn't just the, the sons of Jacob, the sons of Abraham, who were able to enjoy the benefit. Notice in verse number 38, a mixed multitude. This isn't talking about men and women. This is talking about, as we will find out later, as we find out later in this chapter, that there's actually probably some other countries that have been in Egypt oppressed by the Egyptians. Israel wasn't the only people group to be oppressed. But there's been a witness of the true Jehovah and a witness of deliverance here by many nations who are caught underneath this great empire of Pharaoh who are enslaved and they're beholding the wondrous works of this covenant-keeping God. And their hearts are, are drawn to, to humbly acknowledge him as their God. And so, with the words mixed multitude, we learn that there's an ethnically diverse crowd that, if we could use a past tense of this word, that exodus with them. God's mercy is for all who will believe the exodus, the deliverance, salvation in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. And this will be the testimony. And then they are able to partake of the Lamb when they show their obedience even through circumcision. That's in verses 43 to 51. Turn with me then lastly in Hebrews chapter 10. Since this offering of the Lamb has been brought to us. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, in verse 19, Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, but where's our confidence? Was it in our faith? We have confidence to enter the holy places by through, on the account of the blood of Jesus. By, through, the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, through the partaking of the Lamb. And since we have someone who offered this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts. The kind of heart that has full assurance of faith is the kind of heart that's been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some that encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Pull up to the table, take the lamp, keep the lamp, kill the lamp, roast the lamb, eat the lamb, remember the lamb, together is what the writer of Hebrews says. This is the church. This is what we get to do. This is what we get to engage in. 
But this is as we that feast on the land notice that we exit, we have an exodus, we have a, a thing to do as we then with staff in hand, sandals on feet, and belt skirt around our waist. We have something to do. We feast and we minister. And so then we stir up one another unto love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And we remember, and we remember, we rehearse, and we rehearse all the more as the day is drawing. This should be not only in frequency, but also in, in greater knowledge and maturity all the more. Knowing Christ all the more, our worship, our fellowship, even sweeter and more rich than last week. Because we have just kept feasting and we have explored this flesh, we have explored and examined this Christ, and we have found him to be everything. We feast on him through the word, we feast on him by his works through his people, we feast on him through corporate testifying of his goodness and his sufficiency. And all of that we do all the more as the day. Draws near. And so God doesn't negotiate with unbelief. The lamb dies or they die. But we find that God's mercy was upon all who believed. Let's pray.